Hebrews, which, and it's on page 1140. It's Hebrews 8, and it's actually going to be verses 1 to 6, not 1 to 13. So, that's, so page 1140. Okay, put your finger in that one, and then we'll find the first one, which is Exodus chapter 33, and that's on page 88. So the first reading is Exodus on page 88, and that's actually going to be from Exodus 33, verses 1 to 17. So Exodus 33. Then the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Pezzarites, Hivites, and Jezubites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn, and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped at the entrances to their tents. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. We now switch to the Hebrews reading. Hebrews 8 verses 1 to 6. Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. 
We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. This is the word of the Lord. Great, Joe. Thank you very much indeed for reading. And um, just to say that uh, the, uh, our parish centre manager, our administrator, Elizabeth Stovall, works so diligently in the parish centre here, just behind. She does a fantastic job. It's not her mistake that we had the reading there. That is the preacher's fault. I changed the readings. So Elizabeth got it absolutely right, and I was the one who... Um, uh, well, it, what happened was the talk evolved, and I realised that actually what I thought I was going to speak on slightly different but I take the flat not Elizabeth let's pray as we get into the text the ever-present God be still for the presence of the Lord be still for the power of the Lord moving in this place moving in us father we, we want to believe that we want to know that And so we pray that you would root and establish us in your word, in your promises. That as we read your word and study it, we would be filled afresh with the power and the presence of your spirit. That as Moses and the people lived in shadow and copy, we would live in reality. So teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'd love you to have, if you've still got a finger in Hebrews uh, 8, that's great. Page 1141. Um, but, uh, oh, thank you. Sorry, thanks. Um, but I'm actually going to be page 88. Chapters, uh, well, 33, the main bit. I'll look into a bit of 34. Amazing story. I have to say, uh, I've loved and thank you for the encouragement and feedback from a number of you. We have loved working through Exodus. I've never preached through Exodus in a series, but sort of bits and pieces of it. And uh, I hadn't realized actually quite how rich it is. It is a microcosm of the gospel. Even in the passages we'll look at today, it's sort of fairly oblique. There's sort of tent and Moses and something. But there is, I don't know whether you saw it, did you spot it? In that shadow writing, the reality of the gospel the core of what Christians believe around the world today. 
Exodus literally means departure. And so what we've been doing over these past few weeks is tracing the journey that the people of God are on, Israel. A journey out of um, slavery in a foreign land to freedom in the homeland. They're not there yet, of course, Canaan, the land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, they're going to come on to that. But at least they've escaped from the Egyptians, escaped from captivity, rescued by the Lord and redeemed by him. And they're on this journey. And as they are, so I'm going to charitably assume, are we. The journey of faith. What is it that we can discover as we look at these together? Do you remember the framework that we've been uh, applying? It's a, it's a fairly basic, rudimentary one, but it's the one of the three P's. Whereby we understand how the covenant, the, the, the kind of connection of God and his people, fleshes out on earth. It is that God will call a people through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and through Moses. He'll call a people to journey to a place. And all the while, he wants to, and he promises to be present amongst the people. That's how these people stand out as unique. A people to a place. And they are the vehicle for God's presence. And so we reach the narrative here, chapter 33. And uh, the shock, of course, we read it and it kind of just slightly washes over us. But this is shocking, shocking news. Pick out the P's here. Verse 1 of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place where you are currently now, notwithstanding the miracles, notwithstanding the provision of water from the rock and manna. Israelites tempted to think, oh, it's great, we'll stay here. No, this isn't the place. I'm calling you to a far better place. You need to leave this place. Don't get settled. Don't get comfortable. Don't get religious. I've done my bit. Tick the box. There's movement. There's journey. Leave this place. You and the people, there's the second P, that you brought up out of Egypt. And go to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll give it to your descendants. I'll send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, all the otherites. Verse 3, go to the land flowing with milk and honey. So far, so good. We've got a place, we've got a people. Here's the shock. I will not go with you. Because you are a stiff-necked people, the Lord says. And I might destroy you on the way. No wonder, verse 4, when the people heard this, they were distressed. They began to mourn. No one put on any ornaments. Why? Well, because they understand what this means. One of the P's is missing. doesn't matter which one. In this case, it's the P of his presence. That means there's no covenant. I'm going to call a people to a place and I'll be present amongst you. That's how people know that God is their God. And he is their people. When God says, I will not go with you, he's effectively saying, end the covenant. You are a stiff-necked people. He's referring to the idolatry and the golden calf. They're repeatedly looking to serve and worship other gods made out of gold and silver and inanimate things instead of the one true living God who's revealed himself by name. You stiff-necked people. You want to go your way? Fine. End of covenant. No presence. You go on ahead. I'm not going with you. It's a challenge to us, actually. It's a challenge to me. How... How used I am to operating in my own strength. 
God, something God, you know, God says to me, do you know what, tomorrow morning, Tim, Monday morning, I'm not going to be with you all day. If I'm honest, my sin-soaked heart, I'd probably say, well, all right, I'll bash on my own strength. Probably get quite a lot done, actually. Might not be quite as good as if you, but, you know, I'll make a fair crack of it. No, disastrous. It's the mindset that we should all get into. We should mourn and weep and be heavily distressed if we ever felt that we were taking one step into the day without the presence of the Lord. Moses is the mediator. Moses is the mediator. Just turn back a page, chapter 32, and you'll see it's not the first time that Israel has been described as stiff-necked and not the first time that Moses has come to the people's rescue. Look at verse 9 of chapter 32. I've seen these people, the Lord said, this is after their idolatry, the golden calf, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I'll make you, Moses, into a great nation. In other words, I'll start the covenant again. Not through Abraham and his people, but through Moses and your descendants. Verse 11, Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. And uh, as we saw through Trevor's excellent talk, if you missed it a couple of weeks ago, you can download it on the website. But we saw that Moses there mediates with the Lord so that, verse 14 of chapter 32, the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he threatened. Stiff-necked people, and the Lord wants to destroy them in his anger. And Moses steps in between. He says, wait, 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 on behalf of the people, Lord, Lord. And he mediates, and the Lord relents. And now in the narrative here in chapter 33, we have this uh, intriguing passage, verses 7 through to 11. But the book of Exodus just tells us that um, separate to the tabernacle, which was a kind of permanent structure that, um, that, that Moses and the people have been instructed to make within the camp, it's kind of a vehicle signifying the presence of God. But Moses goes outside the camp with a kind of tent, and he makes this, he sets up this tent. Uh, we see that in verse 7, it calls it the tent of meeting. And in verse 9, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Do you ever do this when you head out in the M4 uh, and you go past Windsor Castle and you see if the flag's flying, the standard on the pole? And if the flag is flying, as when the children were younger, we used to, to do this. And uh, can't do this now because they're all sat there with their iPods in. We go, guys, look at the guy, guy. Oh, all right. But when they were younger, we go, guys, guys, look, the flag's flying. The queen is in the castle. The monarch is resident. And the same with the cloud here. When the cloud hung over the tent, God is present. He's speaking to Moses. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Wow. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. But this is within the context of God having said to his people, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to be present among you. He meets with Moses face to face, as a man does his friend. 
but he's not going to go with the people. Thank the Lord for Moses, for his confidence in the covenant, for what it is to be in relationship with God, because he starts to mediate and to negotiate again, verses 12 through to 17. He's already done it now to prevent the Lord's destruction, verse chapter 32. Now he does it to prevent the Lord's absence. I think we should note here, we, we, let me understand, you know, is there anyone here who wants the Lord to destroy us? No. <laughs> Obviously not. But is there anyone here who can bear the thought of God being absent from us? It, it's just as vital to Moses that he mediates for God's presence as he does for their very existence. Look at this. Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. And you've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. But if you're pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. He understands the importance of the three Ps because they complete the covenant. And without covenant with God, who is Moses? Who are the people? They're just meandering in the desert, hoping that the next rock will provide water, hoping that manna will come. They're nothing without him. He knows how vital it is that God remembers who they are, that God goes with them, that he's present with them. The Lord replies, verse 14, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. The Hebrew word for presence there could be translated face. The Lord meets with Moses face to face. My face will go with you. And you think, oh great, so we're okay. Uh, it's where our English language lets us down. We have the same word, you singular, and you plural. This in the Hebrew is you singular. If we were reading this in French or German, we'd understand. It would be tu or du, or whatever the you know, equivalent, whatever that is. But we'd know that the Lord is speaking to Moses. My presence will go with you, Moses, and I will give you, Moses, rest. That's why Moses continues to protest. Look at this. He's got some guts, hasn't he? But you see, he knows what he needs. He knows the authority in which he stands. If he's going to lead these people, he's got to have the Lord's presence. He's got to have the Lord's guidance. And so he says, verse 15, if your presence does not go with us, it's all very well you saying your presence will go with me. That means diddly squat. If you're going to be true to the covenant promises, because it's not just me and individuals, it's me and a people, it's me and a nation. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. We daren't go anywhere without you being present amongst all the people. Verse 16, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Do you see what Moses is pleading for? He's not satisfied there's just me and the Lord. We're, you know, we're okay. As the leader of the people, and as someone rooted in covenant, he understands that God has to go with everyone or the whole bang shoots up. Look at this, verse 17. God responds to the heart, to the pleading of Moses. 
The Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. Who stands between God and destruction? Moses. Who ensures the presence of God for his people? Moses. Moses the mediator. Let's just, just for a moment, check on his credentials. This is Moses whom the Lord has said, I find favor with you. This is Moses of whom the Lord has said, I'm pleased with you. This is Moses, the mediator, who has access to God face to face as a, someone with his friend. And yet this is also Moses who stands with and identifies with a stiff-necked, rebellious, sinful people. That's how he's the mediator. He's in union with God and connected, related to the people, identifying with them, even though he himself has not sinned in this instance. Found favor with God. God is pleased with him. He identifies with the people. He attempts to bring a sinful people in union with God. Can you think of another mediator <laughs> that the book of Exodus might be foreshadowing? Someone who found favor with the Lord? A son in whom I'm well pleased, whom I love? Just look down at chapter 34 and verse 9. Moses bows to the ground in verse 9. He says, Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Now, I know it's slightly cryptic, coded language, but effectively what God is saying is, whereas at the start of chapter 33, you're, I don't know you. You're distant from me, you stiff-necked people. We are, we, there's, there's enmity between you and me. Through the mediation of this one man, God says, I renew the covenant. And that means you are my people, not just some rabble. I don't know. You're my people. And I've got a place for you. And I want to be present amongst you. Covenant renewed, covenant restored through the mediation of one man. Again, are you making gospel connections, shadow, and reality? How did Israel back then, the people of Israel, how did they know that God was with them? How did they know? I want to suggest that the answer is because of Moses, the mediator. Thank the Lord, they might have said. I hope they said. For Moses, thank you that someone is willing to mediate for us. We've been so rebellious. We've, we've been so stiff-necked. I'm just going to go in my way. I'm not going to bend to the will of the Lord in my life. To listen for him. To look for him. Thank Yahweh for Moses. Moses, the mediator, who prevents destruction. Moses, the mediator, who brings about God's presence. 
And he's just the shadow. You see, as we familiarize ourselves with the shadow or the copy, how much more real for us is our escape from destruction? How much more real for us is the delicious presence of God face to face as someone with their friend? I touched on this last week, but it's worth rehearsing and we'll have it read in the carol services that we attend, either here, we might go somewhere else, the prologue, the introduction in John's Gospel. Jesus described as the Word, and the Word became flesh, and literally in the Greek, it would be translated tabernacled amongst us. In the English translation, it doesn't make much sense, doesn't it? So we translate the Word became flesh and lived or dwelt amongst us. But the Word is it's taken from this, it's, it, it harks back to this. And it's taken from this, uh, this passage. The Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. In other words, Jesus was God's presence amongst us. We've seen his glory where Moses was hidden in the cleft in the rock. Couldn't see his glory. We have seen his glory. How much more real is the presence of God? Full of grace and truth, John writes. The Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And as you know, we've traced it in the Gospels. Jesus goes into the temple on one of the great feast days. He says, anyone thirsty for God? Anyone just need to be quenched by God's presence? Implicit answer, yeah, we need God's presence. To forgive us our sin, to assure us of who we are as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Yeah, thirsty for that. Jesus says, come to me. In the middle of the temple, took them, I don't know, 70, 80 years to build this thing. Huge, massive, monstrous thing. You can go and see, if you go to um, Jerusalem today, you can see the temple mount, the the, the basis on which the temple was built. Some of the blocks are, are enormous. I mean, they're like a sort of small bungalow. They're huge. It was an extraordinary work, feat of human ingenuity, this great big temple. This is where God lives. And Jesus comes in and curses it. (laughs) <laughs> built this temple, I destroy it in three days and I will rebuild it. In other words, bricks and stone don't constitute the presence of God. You don't find the presence of God in this particular place, you find the presence of God located in a person, in me. Come to me, Jesus says. So he goes and makes that sacrifice, the copy of which we've seen in Exodus, just a lamb, a dumb, inanimate, uh, well, obviously when it's dead it's inanimate, but what I mean is it doesn't have a will, it has no choice. Not like Jesus in Gethsemane, Father, if it's your will, he could have scarfed, he could have run, of course he could. They jeered at him on the cross, take yourself down, if you're the son of God, heal yourself. Don't you think he couldn't? He chose of his own volition, to stay there until he can say, it's finished. He is the ultimate Lamb of God. We saw the copy in Exodus. This is the reality. And three days later, God raises him to brand new life. And several weeks later, he ascends to sit at the right hand in heaven. Uh, That's where the Hebrews text comes in. The main point of what we're saying, basically the writer of the Hebrews is picking up all the copies in Exodus and showing how they are real in Christ. 
We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Jesus' high priesthood, Jesus' ministry, far superior than Moses. He's there now, at the right hand of the Father, sat down, a sign of authority. He's interceding for us right now. He's ministering on our behalf right now. We go to him in prayer right now, and we enjoy the presence of the Lord without being destroyed. Indeed, as we enjoy the presence of the Lord, we come to know his life in us, real life, true life. That's why, incidentally, as we gather together, we're kind of practicing, rehearsing, if you like, what we'll do one day forever before the king and before the lamb. To pray. We, we have a wonderful prayers. Harry today led us. But actually, we won't, we won't be able to stop ourselves from praying and thanking and praising. We sing some songs. Sean, Jamie, others lead us. But this is nothing compared to what it will be. Because it will be so great. That's why we persist in practicing now. <laughs> That's why when we come to the Father through the Son and are filled by the presence of His Spirit, that's why, if I understand it correctly, we would want to open our mouths and declare forth his praise. We'd want to, I don't know, raise arms. We, we, we want to ex do everything we can to express our worship of this one great mediator. I wish I could take you to my seat. Uh, uh, at uh, the Hammersmith end of Craven Cottage, Fulham Football Club. <laughs> you wouldn't all fit. I'm so sorry. I'd love to take you as a guest. I go with Luke. It's our little sort of treat. We go to every home game. And just across here, where that radiator is from me, there's a guy who sits right by the end of the stand. And he stands up. But he, he spends most of the game stood up. And he stands with his back to the wall, looking across at, I don't know, about sort of 10,000 fans. And he, he just leads a lot of the chants and the singing. I'm so, I'm often, I'm, if the game's a little bit dull, which from time to time with Fulham, you look across, and he's the spectator sport. I'm struck by him. He's a, I guess he's sort of in his late 40s, early 50s. I guess, he, I, I, guess I don't know. I guess he holds down a respectable job. I, he's a, mo most of the times he's there, with, he's standing there with his arms out, chanting away about Roy Hodgson's black and white army, or whatever it might be. And he's sort of gesticulating. His whole body is engaged in something that has his passionate attention. And I smile to myself and think, you are gripped by 22 men running around a pitch on a freezing cold day in nylon shirts and shorts. <laughs> what would it take for you? What would you be like? What would, what would you be like if you had met with the one true living God through the mediating sacrifice of Jesus and the infilling of his powerful spirit? <laughs> I dread to think. He'd probably explode on the spot, if that's what he does for Fulham. And on a Saturday, I come from Fulham, and on a Sunday, I come here, and I think, I, I, if I'm honest, I sometimes ask myself, have we got this? Why is this place not full of rapturous delight and praise? What is it that we're missing? Is it that we don't fully trust 
what God has done in Christ, which is so much greater than what God did through Moses. If God could rescue a people and be present amongst the people through one man, Moses, how much more through his own son, Jesus Christ? Israel had a cloud and some fire at night. They had an angel to lead them and Moses to mediate. We have Jesus, God's own son, tabernacled amongst us. Historical records testify to that. We have his promise of the spirit, the life-giving spirit who will be with us forever. Another of the same kind, he says, who will lead us into all truth. We don't have to go and see at a tent if there's a cloud there. Oh, phew, we're okay. We have God's indwelling spirit with us all the time if we are in Christ, if we've asked him for the spirit. Father, come and fill me with your spirit, your presence. You, in spirit form, to live in me, to guide and direct me. A couple of other verses in the New Testament, which indicates that the New Testament writers understood that Moses, the copy, has been made real in Christ. Moses was faithful, this is the writer of the Hebrews, was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is, the faith, is faithful as a son over God's house. And we, that's believers in Christ, are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Look what Peter writes in his letter to Christians scattered and uh, disillusioned perhaps at times. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Where is God's presence today? And the answer is, here, amongst us. Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. There's more than two or three. The presence of God is amongst us. That's why our friendship and fellowship is so important, because we're often the last to see it in ourselves. That's why I encourage meeting in prayer triplets or in small groups, however we can throughout the week, that we can help one another to see the Lord at work in our lives. That's why it's so encouraging when there are testimonies and stories. That's why I encourage it at the PCC, at, at most gatherings. We have time for story, for testimony of ways in which we've seen God's presence at work in his holy temple. If he did it through Moses, the copy, how much more real through Jesus and by his spirit is God's presence for us today? So that when, as he did with the people in Israel, he says it's time to leave this place, time to go somewhere new, time to think outside the box, time to explore, time to pioneer, time to leave old securities because I want to give you greater ones. Anytime the Lord challenges us and changes us, shakes our tree and rattles our box, we know with so much more assurance than the people of Israel that God is with us. 
God is present. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's, uh, I'm going to ask Jamie and uh, Sean to come back. We've got um, one more song. And then just a bit of time for us to linger in God's presence. We've got a few moments before the children come back. We're going to sing a carol. Oh, li- oh no, what are we going to sing? A little down to Bethlehem, that's right. Uh, so we'll stand and sing that. And then just a moment for us to ask for and stand in the presence of God.